Hey everybody, Devin Boker here, and you are listening to The Wildlife, but not a full episode. This is, um, so here's the thing. Tomorrow we have an episode coming out with the nagging naturalist about nudibranchs, which are super, super cool. But as two naturalists, we had a lot of um, things to discuss, meaning it's very hard for us to stay on topic. We get very easily distracted and going off on other tangents like griping about khakis and uh, noodle knockers and uh, videos that are entertaining but create some issues with SciComm as a whole. So I decided I'm going to go ahead and put this out today as a bit of a sneak peek. And then tomorrow, when you uh, pop in for some nudibranch knowledge, you'll have at least a little bit of background with, uh, with the nagging naturalist herself. Okay, so we're going to dive right into the conversation griping about true yeah. facts videos actually <laughs> well, no, i appreciate that um yeah i think i think one series of videos is is in part to blame and it's as funny as i think they are the the true facts videos oh god i love and hate those so much yeah, i love them <laughs> but they are so generalized and there's so many things where it's like oh, 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 oh hold up hold up hold up <laughs> and it just keeps going and then you're like oh man and so now you have people out there who are watching the video and it's funny and there's exposure and there's education but you know yeah so it's, many- it's it's a mixed bag where like yes we want the recognition of the species and people to be better educated but the better educated also means like using accurate facts <laughs> yeah yep. i totally get that <laughs> And I, I have, even at work, I had that struggle. I, um, they hold us up to such a high standard when I was at the aquarium for education, but the tour guides were not held to the same standards. And one time we were doing a tour and one of the guides asked, he, it was basically the way he asked the question that made it kind of wrong. And I tried my best not to nitpick, but like my biology brain was going crazy. Cause he said, what defines a mammal? And I'm sitting here in my head, like, did you mean what are the common characteristics of a mammal? Because there's only two things that define a mammal. That's mammary glands and our weird ears. Other than that, you know, the things like the hair, the warm bloodedness and the live birth and all that stuff are not unique to us. Lots of animals have those characteristics that aren't mammals. And then of course there are mammals that have scales and lay eggs. So it's one of those things where in my head, I'm like, just based on how you ask that question, you actually made the answers false. It was a simple yeah. like change of vocabulary that would have amended that. But in my head, I'm like, Kristen, don't say anything because in all honesty, it's in the grand scheme of things, this isn't going to hurt like mammal conservation because he said this wrong. It's not that big of a deal. But yeah. then my educator brain's like, you know, I would have gotten yelled at for this. Why doesn't he get <laughs> yelled at for that? I don't understand. <laughs> no, I totally get that. As a science teacher, I feel that a lot. Um, but with my, you know, with my background in wildlife biology and everything, like going to the zoo and overhearing conversations oh. is one of the hardest <laughs> things in the world. You are <laughs> preaching to so the choir. It's so hard to just like I'm... bite my tongue and not say something and, and oh God, oh, it's just. Absolutely. And try not to show that you are eavesdropping. <laughs> yeah, that too. It's just like, then you feel like such a creep. Yeah, because anyway, like sometimes so... they'll ask questions out loud and you're like, is this an invitation for me to answer? Because I'll answer this for you if that's what you're asking out loud. But if you don't want an answer, why are you asking it out loud? Because you're basically inviting me to say something. Yeah, it was a lot easier when I had a uniform. Yep. <laughs> you know, and I, yep. I, you know, that that was my, uh, you know, my green light to be able to say, oh, yeah, I was eavesdropping. Here's my answer. But you know, <laughs> when I'm just there in cargo shorts and a baseball cap with 
two kids and I just walk, oh, oh it, it, it comes across different. <laughs> it, it really does. And I've, I've learned that I've worked in a museum, I've worked in zoos and aquariums, and it just, you know, it really does make a difference. And there's part of me that's like, how can I present myself best when I go into these spaces now that makes me look as professional as possible because unfortunately mm -hmm. my appearance matters and if I come in there in my torn up jeans and a tank top <laughs> and I'm trying to tell this lady about the evolutionary biology of this fish she's gonna look at me like I'm crazy but if I go in there in like a vest and in khaki pants with a nice little name tag somehow my points are now more valid like I I get it <laughs> Yeah, it's the whole, oh, they're in khakis. They must be serious. <laughs> I'm going to burn my khakis when I finally get out of this industry because I love zoos and aquariums, but I really want to do field work. And I hope to never work in a place again that asks me to wear khakis. <laughs> I hate them so much. They are kind of horrible. <laughs> they are. It doesn't match any of my clothes. <laughs> it, it's true. It's kind of one of those like, oh, this kind of it doesn't really matter. I always think of Target. Yeah, yeah, and I hate it too because I'll walk in and like my uniform shirts for the aquarium are blue and black. So mm. you think since I'm not wearing red that people wouldn't bother me, but because I'm in khakis, I still get questions. <laughs> it's like I get it when I'm wearing a red shirt, why they might quickly come and grab me, which is why I avoid wearing red shirts to Target. But when I'm in a black or blue shirt with khakis and you still approach me, how like unaware, how situationally <laughs> unaware are you of just everything right now? Maybe the thing it's like Star Trek. You know, the red shirts are just the general employees. And if you have a different color shirt. They, oh, you know, God, I'm the manager. The yeah, yeah, you're oh, the no. manager. <laughs> oh, boy. Captain. Well, um, maybe, so before we get into the, the nudibranchs, um, uh, how about how about telling us a little bit about yourself and, and about your podcast and, and the stuff that you do? Oh, my goodness. Uh, well... For me personally right now, I'm a college student. I have a bit of a mixed background. I haven't really approached education in the traditional sense. It wasn't like high school, college, degree, work. It was high school, college, dropped out and worked to help support family, went back to college again, dropped out again, worked to support people. Now I'm back in college trying to finish things up. And during this process, of you know me trying to figure out what I wanted to do I took some opportunities to volunteer in particular I spent just under a year volunteering at the Monterey Bay Aquarium when I was living in California and during my time there I was I just I met some of the most incredible people who really opened my eyes like I, I always loved nature and wildlife but I didn't really understand how much I could love nature and wildlife until I met some of these people. One of the guys who was one of my mentors was one of the original aquanauts who spent like 60 days living oh, in the wow. ocean and stuff like that, studying coral reefs and testing out like the impact it had on their bodies to apply to astronauts who are going to space, just like yeah. all this crazy stuff. And there were people who had been, pioneers in their fields who literally created new fields of science during their lifetime who were my mentors so having those people being exposed to those people really kind of helped open me up to how much i love nature and i'd spent most of my life thinking i wasn't smart enough to be 
a science major, but after spending time there, I mean, they, they told me so often, they're like, you're so smart. You catch on so quickly. We really think that you would be a great, you know, scientist or wildlife biologist, naturalist, whatever. And so I, when I moved to Baltimore and I started going back to college again, which I'm currently doing now, I decided to switch my career from what was originally a journalism major to um, a more science-based field. They didn't really have wildlife biology, unfortunately, but they did have environmental uh, management and sustainability is something that's very important to me. So I'm currently doing environmental management with a focus in sustainability and natural sciences, mm -hmm. but I have also taken like zoology classes to kind of, you know, help educate myself more on wildlife. And I've also done a lot of uh, basically personal study, uh, really cool programs like edx.org that offers the free course oh, yeah. from universities. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. I've taken like, <laughs> I think I, I, I honestly have taken probably about 48 to 49, I think classes at this point. Yeah. And they're all over the place. Like my passion ranges everywhere. As much as I love wildlife, I also love like paleontology, archaeology, oh, cultures and stuff. Like it spans the whole gambit of uh, hard and soft sciences. Um, yeah. So all of that basically built me up to where I am now. I've spent years working as a volunteer in animal care and education, horticulture, all kinds of things. And I also spent uh, about two years working as an informal educator at the National Aquarium. Mm -hmm. And all of these things have kind of culminated in the uh, content that I have. So while I'm in school, I still wanted to stay connected to being an educator. And so I created my, initially a Facebook page called The Nagging Naturalist. Then I put it on Instagram. Now it's on Twitter. And all of this has culminated in me having my podcast, The Nagging Naturalist as well. And all these mediums are basically just me trying to find ways of trying to share mm -hmm. wildlife with people, basically. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I love it by the way. And I, and I love interacting with you on, on Twitter and stuff as you've, you've got some great content. <laughs> you. I'm still you trying to figure it all insight. out. I no, feel yeah, like such a, a noob job. compared to other people. Like I am like, I watch people promote themselves and I'm sitting over here. Like I am such a self-conscious person with such low self-esteem <laughs> that trying to build myself up enough to actually promote my content is actually very difficult for me. Like I watch people all the you time doing it and I'm just sitting here like, Oh my God, I don't know how to do this. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. It's, it's one of those, it's one of those things where like, I, you know, I'm aware enough to know that I'm my own worst critic and <laughs> there's probably not many people who are, you know, honing in on like the little details and things that I am where I'm like really self-conscious about or I'm like, Oh my God, I can't believe I made that mistake or whatever. Um, but I get so hung up on that stuff and I'm, you know, I'm so worried about like putting things. Yeah. So I'm in the same kind of boat. <laughs> Always have been, you know, you brought up the, like the free courses and stuff. I think, um, Gosh, I mean, back when I, I was a park ranger for a time at uh, Gold Lake in Minnesota, and it was for the Army Corps of Engineers. And I remember during my shifts, um, anytime I was working on something where I wasn't with visitors or, you know, down in the campground or something, I, and this was kind of before a lot of the like Coursera and great courses and stuff like that came out. Mm -hmm. And iTunes U was one of the main places to get that stuff for free. And oh my gosh, I think I went through 25 courses in the summer just 
listening to you know different stuff and it ranged all over the place like you said it was biology and archaeology anthropology psychology like anything i could get my hands on i was i was listening to and trying to expand on and then i would try to loop things into programs that i was doing from oh absolutely yeah like i i love that i love that that's kind of a place that we're reaching because you know, some people view science in such puritanical senses of like, this is biology, this is psychology, this is, you know, and it's one Mm -hmm. of those things where, you know, everything's interconnected, even, even non-science things are connected to science. We all know this, you know, the, the intersectionality of these topics is really important because when we neglect certain aspects of these topics, we're not getting the full picture and we can't tell the right story if we're not looking at these things holistically. And, mm-hmm. you know, I remember before EDX, um, I actually started on a slightly smaller website, canvas.net. Canvas.net's another one that does the free courses. And uh, before I moved over to EDX, because they have a little bit more variety, I took a, oh, what was it? It was from a design school, actually. Oh, it, it was a sustainable design class from, I think it was actually from a Minnesota university. It mm. stuck out to me because I've lived in Minnesota once. I lived in Mankato briefly oh. with a friend uh, in Southern Minnesota. And I took this class while I was in California and it was sustainable design. And it was asking, you know, how can we borrow, uh, you know, designs from nature and then use biomimicry to create better technology. Oh That's like one of my favorite things in the world. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I still have my notes somewhere. Like I actually helped design like different things. Like I designed desert boots that were based off of uh, fennec foxes fur between their feet and how to create mm. better boots that don't sink. Like things like that. It was so much fun. And I think that was one of the several things that kind of snowballed into me realizing I want to do wildlife. I want to do like things that are based on nature and animals so yeah. much because it's amazing. Yeah. No, that stuff is just, um, we, we talked to a, a whale evolution biologist recently and, and some of the stuff there with biomechanics and using the biomimicry and, you know, real, real engineering and stuff. And just some of the, some of the things that were brought up, I was just completely blown away. And then we talked to somebody else recently about deep sea and how uh, glass sponges are being looked at for design of better fiber optic cables and it's just you know you never at face value you know the the average person would never be like oh wow that sponge there that's a great model for fiber optic (laughs) (laughs) but it's just some amazing stuff and there's there's even like a a toilet thing like the urinal disc thing um that they're they're modeled off of moss because a lot of moss, you know, it, it oh needs my to goodness, moisture so it that. doesn't splatter. It makes so much sense. <laughs> yeah, so they're designed to reduce, you know, so that there's no splatter and it just takes in all the water and that's all based off of moss. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <It's just laughs> that's amazing. wild. And yeah. what was it? I feel like I just, I just talked, to, oh, when I did, uh, what was my, I think it was May, I did the tasseled Wobegong and I focused on sharks and mm-hmm. I did a review because I remember my introduction to biomimicry mainly came from the book, The Shark's Paintbrush. Um, 
it's not strictly biomimicry, but that is like the bulk of the book. It does cover other things. Um, some of it's a little bit like semi-autobiographical of this guy who wrote it. And then there's mm -hmm. also like the economic impacts. He discusses like why it would be financially beneficial to invest more in it. But the bulk of the book is actually discussing a plethora of things from, you know, like wind turbines based off of whale flukes and things like that, or whale fins. It's, 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 it was a really great book to read. And um, I focused on it because in it, they do discuss uh, the different adaptations that sharks have that could be used. My favorite being, so sharks have their dermal denticle scales and it's been shown that the dermal denticles potentially have antimicrobial properties that prevent things because it's meant to prevent growth like it does on whales. Whales get the yeah. barnacles and algae and stuff. With sharks, the dermal denticles is meant to prevent that. So they want to design this. One application is for boats to reduce the amount of hauling out they have to do of boats to get the uh, biomass off of it. But mm -hmm. a more important application is potentially putting this paint in hospitals to reduce the surface area that dangerous bacterium can grow Ooh. on. So, you know, when you think oh, of like, cool. yeah, like staph infections are extremely deadly. They can cause toxic shock syndrome, which can mm -hmm. kill people within hours if not treated properly. And being able to prevent that from spreading would be incredible. Yeah, that's amazing. Oh gosh, I feel like I could go. I just, I just heard this thing, the whole thing about copper and hospitals. And now I feel like I could go off on a tangent about that, but I'll, I'll <laughs> refrain. <laughs> We'll try to keep I, it somewhat I, focused. I will try not to go too off topic. I'm definitely <laughs> one of those people, though, that, you know, you can have a conversation within an hour, but talk about like a hundred different things. <laughs> yep. Same, same. It's kind of hard to rein in. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Makes podcasting somewhat difficult sometimes, but. Um, Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was really happy when you brought up Nudibranchs uh, when we were chatting about possible stuff to talk about, because um, they've, they've long interested me. I don't know a lot about them. I've seen a lot of you know, videos and things like that, really just kind of generic stuff in large part. And I remember going over them in zoology really briefly. Well, it was perfect timing too, because you asked me while we were doing the slugs versus fishes competition on Twitter. And so like, I love nudibranchs. I think of them a lot, but as a naturalist, you tend to keep yourself very broad. Yeah. I'm not, my aim isn't to get a PhD and to study a specific animal like many scientists do. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to focus very broadly because I want to keep that holistic view that I think is important in science communication. And that's not to discount anybody else's science communication. That's just the type that I prefer because yeah. I like to tell that very broad interconnected story exactly. to yeah. where people who specialize in animals, you know, are really trying to help inform on that particular species in a very specific way to help promote its conservation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's perfectly fine. I love those people. And I love the wonderful nudibranch scientists that I've now been hooked up with because of slugs versus fishes. Cause that was one of the few instances where I self promoted myself. Cause as soon as they were like, who are we going to get for team nudibranch? When I saw that comment, mm -hmm. I know that they were kind of calling out for like experts, but I'm sitting here like, I know I'm self-educated on nudibranchs, but I'm going to throw my towel in the ring because I've been working and studying these animals for years. And I would certainly hope that I have the ability to defend <laughs> nudibranchs against fishes at the very least. Um, so while I don't, you know, specialize in any particular group or species of nudibranchs. Um, 
speaking very broadly of them and even about very specific adaptations, I'm very comfortable talking about those because I've read books by like Terry Goslinger, who is like considered the father of nudibranchs because he really is the one who helped galvanize the interest of nudibranchs more in the general public. And he's also helped discover and name like what like a thousand species like i think he he discovered his first new nudibranch species when he was like a teenager oh, wow. <laughs> yeah he's 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 very heavily invested in uh nudibranchs he is he's considered a, a powerhouse in the nudibranch community and he is very trusted but you know there are others and what's really cool is a lot of those others are on twitter and they're very accessible they're very happy to discuss them and I'm very excited because thanks to slugs versus fishes, I'm actually going to be getting my first nudibranch tattoos very soon. Oh, very cool. Very cool. That's, that's a great idea for one. I've been trying to, I have, uh, <laughs> I have four Darwin finches on my forearm and nice. um, I've been trying to think of, you know, what am I going to do on the other side? And I don't want to do a bird. I've been trying to think of something. Oh, no <laughs> vampire finch. I thought, I thought maybe, uh, oh no, I have the, um, oh gosh, of course. Now I am completely blanking the large the large ground finch, medium ground finch, green warbler finch, and the other one. <laughs> I can't think <laughs> of the name of. Um, and I thought about getting like a cuttlefish on the other arm. I wasn't sure. Ooh, cuttlefish are wonderful. I know, right? My um, my niece likes to loves the pictures of the flamboyant cuttlefish. Like a lot of cuttlefish <laughs> do this, but with flamboyance, they keep their two front arms upwards. She calls those arms noodle knockers because they look like noodles <laughs> that are about to knock on your door. And so now whenever I see those, I was like, and those two front arms are the noodle knockers. <laughs> the technical science term, trust me. That is great. I know I, <laughs> that's going to be my new thing. I'm going to call them noodle knockers from now on. Oh, geez. <laughs>